You're listening to the Garden City Church Podcast. We just want to say thanks so much for tuning in. And if you enjoy what you hear today, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. If you want to support what Garden City is doing, you can go to GardenCityNW.com slash give or click on give in the show notes. Let's dive into this week's message together. Hey everyone, Michael here. Uh, happy to be with you guys today. Uh, before I jump into the sermon, I want to extend a personal invitation to my house for our fourth annual Guac Off. It's awesome. There's a live band. There's tacos. There's a guacamole competition. So bring your best guac. Non-store-bought has to be homemade guac. Uh, And invite friends. Invite your neighbors. It's going to be a really, really great time. I'm really looking forward to it. And I hope to see you guys there. We've been in this series called The Summer of Love, going through the book of 1 John. 1 John is one of my all-time favorite books of the Bible. Um, I love 1 John. We've had some amazing teachers that have um, been teaching us through the summer, and I have the last few verses of the book, the conclusion of 1 John. And um, I want, I'm going to read through the last couple of verses. I'm going to make a couple observations on it. And then I kind of want to zoom out and talk about kind of the the big picture of First John um, and leave us with a few challenges, and it should be great. So let's dive in together. Each one of these verses is pointing back to something that John said earlier in the letter, right? Like a, like a letter, he's kind of, he's concluding everything and he's, and he's pulling some of his main pieces in to kind of tie everything together. So let's read this together. First John 5, 13 through 21. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. This is his purpose, I'm reminding you of the life that you've been given. And we are confident that he hears whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. It says, calling back to verse 3. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he gives us what we ask for. This is going back to verse 3, where it's talking about as we live in the light with God and with each other, that God's desires become our desires, and we begin to want the same thing. So when we ask for things, God is delighted to give us the things we want because they are the things that he wants. And then it goes on, and I think this is kind of interesting because I've often read that verse, and I immediately think of like things I want or something, right? Like if I ask for something I want. But John points it somewhere different. He says, if you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. That the desire is the thing we're asking for, not for us, but actually for our fellow believers, the people that we see struggling. It goes on, it says, but there is a sin that leads to death, and I am not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. Now, the sin they're talking about is obviously the sin of driving under the speed limit in the left lane traffic. That is an unforgivable sin. Um, Those people are beyond saving. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, this is a weird verse, though, and um, a lot of theologians disagree on this verse. There's lots of different opinions on what it means. And a temptation when reading a section of Scripture like this is to kind of fixate on the one part that uh, is confusing or doesn't make sense and miss the bigger picture of what John is trying to say. One of the ways of interpreting this is that um, 
when you see someone's sin, someone who's struggling with sin, that we are to pray for them, that God would give them life. But there's the sin that leads to death is, is this idea of someone who is actively rejecting God. Um, and that doesn't mean that they commit the sin and then they're forever, you know, uh, cut out of an opportunity from knowing God. It just means that as they're in this place of rejecting God, that rather than uh, praying for the, the sin, we want them to encounter Jesus. We want that person to um, to experience the love of God, to repent from their sin, um, and to be made made new. So we don't pray for the sin. We pray for that person. Um, that's that's one of the ways that I kind of interpret that verse, but there's different ways to interpret it. You may have heard a different way, and uh, there's lots of ways to do that. But I don't want to get caught up on that verse because um, I don't think it is the main point that John is making here. So as we continue, it says, We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. When we become part of God's family, we accept God into our life. He gives us his spirit. And the Bible says that his spirit convicts us of sin. When you come to know Jesus and, and if there's a behavior in your, in, in your life or way of living that the Holy Spirit convicts you of as being sinful, like we all know that, that feeling. You, you can't live with that feeling. And First John invites us all throughout the book of John to repent of our sin so we can have fellowship with one another. We can have com community and not, not live in the darkness, but live into the light. And when we are God's children, His Spirit convicts us of sin so that we cannot continue to go on sinning. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. We know that the Son of God has come and that He has given us understanding so that we can know the true God and know we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and He is eternal life. And then he ends with this. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. And that's the end of 1 John. Now, often in church, when we, when we pick apart Scripture, we'll, we'll grab a section of verses and we teach on it. And a lot of that's just because we don't have the attention span to sit and read an entire book of the Bible. I don't. I'm ADHD, and that sounds terrible. But these, a lot of these books, um, especially the letter, these letters like like First John, they were letters. They were letters that were written to a church. They would have been read um, as a whole. Uh, think about like sending an, an email or a text message. It's kind of like if I sent if my wife sent me a text message, and then like. Hundred years later, people were like, "Look at this! Look at these two sentences right here, where it says, when you go to the store, don't forget eggs.' What do you think she meant by eggs? Like it would be funny to pick apart um, a, a communication in that way, and yet we do that. And and you know, there's a, a it's a rich way of studying the Bible, and I'm not criticizing that, but we can sometimes lose context of um, the the purpose of the letter by just focusing on little little parts. So I kind of wanted to step back and I wanted to focus this on kind of uh, John's main point that I think he's really getting across in this letter. This letter was written to the church uh, in conflict and division. They were going through a great time of conflict and the purpose of the letter was to encourage them to remember the life they've been called into. Um, and one of his big themes is that our faith must be more than belief. In verse 4, 20 through 21, he says, if someone says, I love God, but he hates his fellow believer, 
that person is a liar. And if we do not love the people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. And in verse 3, 18 through 22, he says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. John hits over and over and over this, this idea that like our actions should reflect what we say we, we believe. And if they don't, then it's really not what we believe. Uh, Andy Stanley has this quote from uh, his most recent book, Not In It to Win It. Um, and I love what he has to say. Follow Jesus through the Gospels and you'll discover that the kingdom he introduces and invites us to participate in is a kingdom characterized by public behavior, not private belief. What he never said is as instructive as what he did. Jesus never said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you believe correctly. The world will know whose we are and whose kingdom we represent by how we treat, respond to, serve, forgive, and talk about one another. Reducing our faith to a list of beliefs provides us with plenty of margin not to love, forgive, provide for, celebrate, pray for people who we disagree with. Reducing faith to a list of belief frees us to slander people we don't align with politically. It gives us license to mock, jeer, and celebrate the failures of people whose views differ from us. If someone's political views make their feet too dirty for you to wash, you can be sure your politics are informing and deforming your faith. We cannot reduce membership in God's kingdom to belief because the king does not allow it. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's from Andy Stanley's book, Not In It to Win It, which if you have not read is fantastic. I highly recommend it. This is something I've been thinking about a lot. This idea that um, there's our, our relationship with God and our relationship with others, right? And I think I've, I've always kind of thought about it as, you know, as we spend time with God and we, we do our our devotional, we pray, we sing our worship songs, we go to church. And then out of that spiritual time with God, we love others out of the overflow of that. And John's kind of painting a different picture for us. He's, he's saying there really isn't a separation between this. When Jesus came down and became a man and he lived among us and died and gave us his spirit, like when we love people around us, we are loving God. Um, Jesus says, when you love the least of these, you were loving me. And so as we are patient with one another, the ways that we treat one another, that is the evidence of our love for God. And that is God's love in us pouring into others. And as others are patient with us and love us, God is loving us through the people around us. He's teaching us about his grace and his patience and his love. And it's this messy together thing. It's not, it's not God and others. It's God and others. And, um, it's just something I've been processing a lot, and I love this about, about, about John's book. He just is hammering this home. You cannot separate your beliefs from the way you treat others. Brian Wilson hit on this beautifully last, last, last week, and I think it's just one of John's main point. Um, I think he sums it up right here in, in verse 2, 7 through 8. He says, Dear friends, I am not writing a new command to you. Rather, it is an old one you have had from the very beginning. This old command to love one another is the same message you've heard before, yet it is also new. 
Jesus lived the truth of this command, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. And he reiterates it again in 4.11.12. He says, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. So here's my reflection for us. Is God's love being brought to full expression in the things you post online? In the way you talk about those who hold different beliefs than you? The way you treat strangers in the store? In the way that we respond to our families? And maybe as you think about that, someone just popped into your mind. Is there someone you need to ask forgiveness from? You know, 1 John is all about this idea that as we're reconciled to God, we must reconcile with one another, that this, this forgiveness that we have with him is not this and this, it's this. Before we close, I think it's really interesting that the very last line of 1 John seems to be, seems to kind of come out of nowhere. It says, uh, one of the, the translations says, uh, and dear children, keep yourself from idols. This is a callback to verse 215 through 17, where it says, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only the cravings of physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and the pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Why would John end with this? It seems like it kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, I, I believe it's because it's personal. You know, John um, and James, back in the day when they were with Jesus, they had the nickname, the Sons of Thunder. We're told that John tries to stop a man from driving out demons in Jesus' name because he was not with them. We later in their travels, uh, when people refused to give Jesus and the disciples a place to stay, John and James ask if they should command fire to rain down on the village. And later they ask Jesus for a special place of authority in heaven by Jesus' side. That is hardly the love that John has spent this whole book talking about us embodying, you know, like stopping someone from healing someone because they're not a part of the crew or, or when, when someone wouldn't give them a place to stay, asking that they should just be wiped out or wanting some sort of authority over people and some, some recognition. John is now writing this letter, having been changed by the love of Jesus. He's pleading with his brothers and sisters and with us, don't make the same mistake I made. Don't allow anything to take God's place in your hearts. Don't allow your beliefs to hijack your mandate to love each other. John's letter is an encouragement to the church to remember that we are loved and have been brought into the family of God a family on mission to love the world with the same radical love that saved us. It is also a diagnostic for our lives. Are we living out what we say we believe? Are, are we being shaped and molded by God's Spirit to be more loving and compassionate? Or are we being formed by the values of this world? John invites us to remember the gift of understanding and knowing the Creator of the universe that we have inherited eternal life through Jesus, his son. And just like George 
and Jaylene and Sarah and Kevin and Brian. John invites us to be love to the world around us. Love you guys. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or comments about today's message or would like to contact Garden City Church, reach out at info at gardencitynw.com or click contact in our show notes. Garden City services are made possible by your generosity. Your generosity is love in action. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.